Okay, wonderful. Guys, this is uh, the, uh, the last chapel before midterms. Midterms is next week. Wow, wow, amazing. It's exciting. Okay, uh, we're getting into our chapel chats part two. And uh, Kim spoke out of what book last week? Ephesians, even knew the chapter, wonderful. Okay, so listen up. We're going to start at the beginning of Ephesians. We're going to go the whole way through, okay? Just kidding, but here's some things I want you to, to know as we get into tonight's message. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Turn to your neighbor and say, every spiritual blessing. Verse 7 to 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Say to your neighbor, to unite all things in him. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Say, made us alive to your neighbor. 2.19, you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 3.6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Say partakers of the promise. Chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Just say all to your neighbor. 4.10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Say, fill all things. 4.13, to the measure of the stature of the Fullness of Christ. Say, fullness of Christ. And 4.15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, say whole body, joined and held together. Thank you. Right in. What are, what are some of the themed words out of that? Fullness, all, whole, rich, held together, alive. Paul is setting the stage. Paul is declaring the mystery of God's will. The beauty and the riches and the glory of his gospel love. The order of things has changed for all and forevermore. It is a plan, a new covenant that has been made because of the love of Christ that he has given. Redemption, 
and forgiveness, a new meaning and purpose to this life, a new chance to mankind once again. This love of a father. And the picture of that song is so beautiful. That feeling that you can just like go, oh, like into his arms. Full of trust. Full of security. Because of his wonderful, wonderful love. And his message is that it has has been given to all. Like to all. And I'm pretty sure when he said all, he meant all that were no longer strangers, but fellow citizens, members of the same household. And so Paul, to his audience, who would have lived, who did live in a society of hierarchy and levels, tiers of power and of abuse and of um yeah, of power and of, of like social and economic um, authority and lording over of leadership and looking down upon. There would have been this culture of, I am not good enough. I am not worthy. I was not born into the right family. I was not born of the right race. I was not born of the right gender. And here Paul is saying, guess what? I have good news for all mystery of God's will is that even the Gentiles are now considered heirs. It was God's chosen people, but now because of Christ and his love, that there is a united family of God for all who choose to believe. All, fullness, whole, united together then why do we so often feel insignificant when we don't have a significant other? Why often is there still such desire and a longing inside of us to be connected in community, to feel seen and to feel known by those that are around us, to feel loved, to feel cherished, to feel appreciated, Because God has created us to be in community. He himself is community. In the form of the Trinity, they perfectly love one another. They perfectly loved their creation. And as made in their image, in God's image, we too are created to be in community in a form to love and to care for one another. And so uh, we went through this passage last week in Ephesians chapter 5. And Kim did a wonderful job and in a very difficult time and day and spoke wonderful truth of God's love and God's care and God's blessing in our life. As a single woman who loves the Lord, who the Lord blesses and has favor in her life, I now get to from a perspective of a male who loves the Lord and the Lord blesses and has favor in my life. As a married man, I get to come as well under the teaching of the Lord through this passage and speak specifically uh, on his, his desire for relationships, his desire for a, a loving community, his desire for a God-fearing, loving household. And so we're going to continue on in chapter 5. We're going to skip down to the bottom and pick up where Kim left off. But before we do, I just want to say this. 
in the beginning of chapter five, Paul opens up with this word, therefore, right? And the therefore in his writing is all that I have just explained in my previous writings, all the truth that we have just unpacked and unfolded, that this now love, this gospel love, the mystery of God's will, who is for all, for every race, for every gender, for every status, for every person. Therefore now, because of this truth, we are to imitate the Lord. We are to live differently. We are to live in love, is what Kim opened the service up with this evening. In the ESV translation, it says that we are to walk in love. And so before we get to the title of Walk in Love, Kim did this presentation of her community. So I thought, why don't I start off with sharing a bit about my community? Uh, And so we had a real problem with the uh, PowerPoint tonight. So we'll see which ones actually show up. Kim, ours got cut off for some reason. I know, I know. Okay, so uh, up on the top is Rebecca's family, my in-laws, who who really are the closest family that I have. So I'm very blessed and God's favor on my life to have a family in which that loves us. And so that's Rebecca's family on the two tables at, I think that was Christmas time uh, in December. Uh, In the bottom left-hand corner is myself and my two good friends, Cornell and Garrett, that we got to go to school with. They were in my Omega class for all you Omega guys and gals out there. Garrett, the guy in the middle, was on my my team. Cornell was on another team. They were both in my wedding party, uh, and Cornell was my best man. And uh, so friendships that last literally a lifetime. That photo was taken a year ago uh, as we were on Vancouver Island. And then uh, the most wonderful people in my life, the one in that center bottom there, Rebecca, Seth doing the dab, and uh, Simeon giving his little smirk over in the corner. Uh, I also have another set of community is uh, my neighbors and uh, those that we are most closest with at our church. So up in the top left, that's the blocks to go to our church. Middle is the Johnsons, they're neighbors of ours. Top right is the Colborns, and then just all the kids. The kids and the family, and Seth and Simi and Gunnar and Celia, which are basically kids of ours now. Um, But absolutely, without a doubt, the next slide is my closest of closest, uh, my family jam. You can click to the next slide. Those beautiful, beautiful people. Yeah. The Lord's blessing and favor in my life is evident between those three people whom I love more than anybody else and who infuriate me more than anybody else on the face of this earth. I love Rebecca so much. I love that little blonde hair, blue eyes kid that looks just like her with that funny grin, but there is nobody else in this world that infuriates me more than that guy there as well. So we have a wonderful relationship. (laughs) God designed us to be in relationship. God designed us to be in care and love and consideration to one another. And he designed different dynamics of relationships marriage relationship, household relationships, friend relationships, family relationships, significant other relationships. Uh, And so uh, Kim went through how we as believers are to act as as she went through chapter five, right? Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. Walk in love. And so she talked about, reiterated what Paul said, that we are to abstain 
from sexual impurity prior to that of marriage, that we are to be wise and make wise decisions, that we are to watch how we talk with one another, not to use harsh language or foul joking, but to, in being filled with the Spirit, speak to each other like we do in psalms or songs or hymns, a poetic level of, of speech that builds up and encourages and edifies. And so that's what Paul was saying as Kim spoke last week. Uh, verses 1 to 21, and finishing off with this submission that we give towards one another. This beautiful picture of how the body of believers are to submit to one another. Very similar to the imagery that we discussed through the book of John, where Christ washed the disciples' feet um, and the, the Last Supper together and the posture that he took of a slave submitting to those that he loved, washing their feet, leading and loving and showing his care and compassion towards them. That we all together collectively are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's where we're at. We're going to pick up chapter 5, verse 21. I'll have it up on the screen. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, Kim began here, and I'm very grateful for how you finished off that worship set. The concept of love in many of our lives um, has been quite tarnished in our experiences. The concept of a marriage love has been broken for many of you. And I'm one of those who sit in this room with a childhood of a tarnished love in parents and their commitment to one another. Uh, many in this room have experienced a, a, a pain and a hurt in uh, this teaching on this passage with either a misinterpretation of it or uh, a harsh correction about it. Uh, or have been told that it is to be an authoritative submission uh, and an authoritative love over of leadership. And so there's been some harsh experiences in many people's lives, um, according to this passage, to the concept of love, the concept of relationships. And I truly believe tonight that the Lord wants to bring some healing in your lives, as he's brought in mine in the last week. 
as he's brought healing in my life as I've read this passage, as he's brought healing in my past again, which he's had to do so many times and I believe will continue to do so throughout the rest of my life. He will bring healing into my life. He's brought healing into my marriage again this past week with a a fresh revelation of his instruction in this passage. And it's been a delight. It's been a delight to be corrected. It's been a delight to be humbled. It's been a light to be retaught and to be... um, shown once again and revealed the pure love of Jesus for his bride. The pure love of the Lord in how he cares for his church and the example that he set forth to men and to women. Uh, and I'm, one, I'm, I'm excited to go through this passage with you this evening. And so as we walk in love, are you willing to go for a bit of a walk with me this evening? Yeah? Wonderful. Thank you. So who's read this passage before and has been offended by it? Thank you for your honesty. Who's read this passage and been really confused by it? Who's read that part where it says no one has ever hated their body and you're like, but wait a second, I've actually hated my body before. (laughs) Did Does Paul know what he's talking about? (laughs) Who's who's been offended by how this passage has been communicated before? And so I believe that tonight the Lord wants to do some healing in your life as well. I believe the Lord wants to bring some healing in some broken relationships in your life. I believe he wants to heal some areas of brokenness and the understanding and concept of love in your life tonight. So let's walk through this together. So the context of this passage, as I was saying, as Paul declares this gospel love to his readers in the Greco-Roman first century world, oh my goodness, was it unhealthy, okay? There was some major power dysfunction at the center of its operation. We in Canada, we see power dysfunction to a degree, uh, and, and we know that there is injustice that takes place in our country. And it's not that I think that we outright accept it because people are offended by it and stand up for those who need to be stood up for, but there is an underlying acceptance knowing that it does happen. Like there's, I guess it is an acceptance of it, but like a, an understanding of just like it happens and there's, it just does. But here, it was like a public like, like acceptance, commonly widely known and spread, discussed and talked about, about the hierarchies and the level and the abuse of power, right? The, the authority, the fear, the dominant leadership, the status that plagued civilization. Because of your race, because of your age, because of your gender, because of your family status, your background status, your health your sickness, your financial ability, or non, the lack of it, treatment was not equal in society. People were not treated with dignity and honor just because that they were a human being. And Paul comes in with this declaration of the mystery of God's will, the beauty and the glorious of his riches that he lavishes upon all people. The Gentiles are now heirs. The mystery is that God's chosen people is now God's collective family together. This is the truth that Paul declares 
for all people. And as Paul declares these truths over all people, he specifically focuses on a unique structure, which is the value of the home. He speaks specifically. And all that he talks about, that this is, this is news for all to hear, race, gender, anything, age, sickness, socioeconomical status, for all. And then at the end of it, he specifically focuses on unique dynamic relationships and he focuses on the value of the home. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's so beautiful. So Paul's words, what he does is he attacks straight to the core this economic power play, this social power play, this this hierarchy of power at the core, he attacks it. And it's wild and it's awesome. He speaks of it in Ephesians 5 and 6. He also dabbles in it a bit in Colossians as well. These household codes is what Paul writes about. And the unique dynamic of these relationships in the household codes. And we all have household codes, right? We grew up with household codes. There were things that we had to abide by, rules that our parents made for us, seats at the dinner table that were enforced for us to sit at, seats in vehicles that we couldn't sit by another sibling because of an argument that may take because of it. Um, We have it in our home. You guys have it in your homes. We have it in the dorm rooms, right? There's household codes. There's boundaries that we're not allowed to cross. There's wings that genders are not to go into the other gender's wings. There's rules. There's guidelines that we all follow, right? You know, like like the rule that after you finish your dinner, you take your plates and you put them into the sink or into the bin, right? Like that's a general guideline and rule, right? Or, or how about maybe not even in the cafeteria? It's just after you use something, maybe not even a dinner plate. You just pick up after yourself, right? Like that's a general rule we all follow, right? <laughs> maybe one that people are still learning. But there were household codes and relationship dynamics that would have been a part of culture then as is now. And they were harsh. They were harsh. They were about power and pagan authors and philosophers, excuse me, philosophers (laughs) would write and they would push this concept about power over those who were powerful and keep the powerless under as a way to keep society moving and clicking. And so Paul comes in and he attacks the core of this concept. And what would have been accepted is a marriage relationship where the man would be a male dominant figure over that of a female. Paul says, hold the phone. Hold the phone. In the structure of chapter five, and I really wish, I really wish the the breakdown of chapter five and six was different selfishly. Uh, because Paul specifically speaks about wives and husbands, children and parents, and then slaves and masters. And he speaks of the household dynamic. And there needs to be better um, 
further teaching, I should say, not better, further teaching uh, on the concept of slaves too, because it's not what we would look at in our history and our nation and in the U.S. specifically towards slavery. It was different. Um, there was a, a level of, of benefit and status that you could go into slavery and live with a family and become part of that family so that you could come to a place of owning property and being able to vote and having rights, all that kind of stuff. So it was more of a household relationship dynamic. Um, and so Paul speaks specifically of that household dynamic. He values the home, is what he speaks to. And what's so wonderful about his writing is he speaks specifically first to those who would have com- been completely, ne- excuse me, completely neglected in the relationship. He first speaks to women and values women before he speaks and addresses the men. In the the next chapter, he first speaks to children before he speaks to parents, which children would have been completely neglected in any conversation or writing or literature. He first speaks to slaves, and then he moves towards masters. And he shows the value and the importance and the meaning of every gender, of every age, of every background, of every family. In the first century, a genuine equal love and faithfulness was pretty absent in marriages. And so Paul urges, not for authority and power in his description here of that of a husband and wife, but of unity. Not of authority, but of unity. Paul speaks directly to those who wouldn't even have been acknowledged in any other form of writing. This is not that you need to submit because of authority and power. This is a submission out of a unitedness between a man and a woman. As reverence out of Christ, we submit to one another. This is not a, uh, you have to, we're forcing it upon you. This is, I recognize you and I see you. And I, and I want you to be someone with meaning. Sorry, not I. The Lord sees you and sees you as a person of meaning and of value. And so he speaks first to women, to children, and to slaves in his breakdown. That we are all free in Christ, free for all. And freedom doesn't mean, you know, freedom of any structure and order. That's chaos. Freedom is having a healthy conduct of structure and order in which that we have the ability to make a choice. That's freedom. We have the ability to make a right choice. And he's saying everyone has the ability to make a choice. And here's our choices. So Paul is showing the meaning and the value as he speaks to the home. And he speaks directly first to that of of those who would not have been spoken to, to women and then to men. So the word submit The word submit is a very difficult word in our English language. And there comes a lot of brokenness that we have experienced in our lives. A lot of pain and hurt and hardship because of this word submit. And so I want to, oh, my prayer is that that word, as love, Kim mentioned, would be redeemed in your life tonight. And just as you walk in love, just as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. See the language? Can we, can we actually put up the, the passage? 
the verses 21 into 22 and 23. So the first of the Ephesians passage. Do you see the language? In verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands is a very key prominent word. This is not a gender specific concept. This is not a women are to submit to men concept. This is a wife to your own man. Do you choose to submit to willingly, not forcibly, not out of authority or out of power, but out of love and reverence that you submit to your own husband as you do to the Lord. So this is not, again, man over women and women submit to. So if there has been teaching in your life, specifically that this is a gender concept between men and women, I'm sorry that that's happened to you because this is not what Paul is talking about. He's actually speaking against that which would have been taught in society. And he is speaking outright against that concept in this passage. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He doesn't use words like authority. He doesn't use words like lead. He doesn't use words like power. As Christ is the head of the church of his body, of which he is a savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So let's, let's redeem this word submit because it's a harsh word for many of us. It's a difficult word in our language because it has connotations of force. It has connotations of uh, lowering ourselves in stature, which is not what the definition that Paul uses with this language. It means dedication and it means loyalty. It means being present. It doesn't mean blindly following. It doesn't mean giving up all power because I'm, I'm forced to. It's actually the opposite of that. It's loyal and dedication to her husband. Loyalty and being present with her husband, which would have been not accepted in their culture. The wives would not have been present. They would have been cast to the side or behind or stayed back at home. They would not have been with. And so Paul is saying, no, you are to be with, to be present with, to be dedicated to, to be loyal with your own husband. Because the reality is this, and, and Proverbs talks about it within the virtuous wife, right? The, the beauty of the, and the gem of a virtuous wife, she gives confidence to her husband. Because the reality is, is men are insecure people, right? And, and we, we, we are so insecure and in knowing if there's a person who is loyal and dedicated gives them confidence. And so I actually think this is less to do specifically on how a woman is to love a man, but just the need of a man's love. I didn't say that right. <laughs> the need, the, the way that a man needs to be loved, actually. And, and we'll actually get that into the second section about how men are to love their wives as well. It doesn't just show how we are to love, but it really shows how men have this need of love and how women have this need of love. And it is unique and it is beautiful and it is different. And so this unique but unified way of, of a love that a wife has for her own husband, this 
this desire to be loyal and dedicated to, feeling the safety like that of the love of the Father to go, oh, in towards that of her own husband. So, so can, I, can I encourage you to the, the history in the past of how you have looked or have been treated or have been taught the word submission in this context? The Lord wants to redeem that. The Lord truly wants to redeem that in all of our lives, both men and women. Because too many times men have forced upon the submission, the, the, the tarnished concept of the submission towards women as well. If a woman is going to put herself in subjection to a man, the man must be trustworthy. They are to submit themselves to their husband as to the Lord. The Lord is trustworthy. Therefore, we submit ourselves to the Lord because he is trustworthy. If he was not trustworthy, we would not submit ourselves to him. So if a man is not trustworthy, you are not to submit yourself to him. Metaphorically, Paul uses the parallels of the relationship of a wife and husband to Jesus and the church. And as we, the church, submit to Christ out of a willingness, out of a desire of obedience, so too does a wife submit to her husband. This is applicable in a covenant relationship. This is not applicable in that of a dating one. This is not applicable in that of an engaged one. This is applicable only in a covenant relationship. Remember the definition of single and married, right? Dating is single. There's been no oath and covenant made. Engagement is single. There has been no oath and covenant made before others and before the Lord. So there is no way that any man should ever expect this of you unless you have both willingly submitted to one another in a covenant relationship. Too many dating couples act like married couples. Too many dating couples here at Summit act like married couples. Too many people think that their relationship is of a priority of heightened value more than it really truly ought to be in your relationship with Jesus and ministry and walking in love throughout this place, this world, and in our lives. We desire intimacy, and it's all truly out of an honest care of, of wanting this desire fulfillment, right? It, it comes from a, a good place, I believe. But our expression sometimes can be quite unhealthy in where we are uh, committing ourselves to one another emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, when we have yet to make a covenant vow with one another. And so we really, can I encourage you um, to watch yourselves, to guard yourselves well in this regard, okay? Uh, we're going to move on to the next one before we get into our questions. Because men, we have some, some real teaching that we need to accept here that we haven't done a, a good job, in my opinion, in a lot of this. Okay, the, the next section, uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It seems a bit unfair off the top, right? Right? Because of the language of submission, like that's it. They just have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's a bit unfair. 
And, and I think in a lot of relationships, it has been a bit unfair. And so, men, we have some learning that I believe needs to take place. Because a true, godly Christ love isn't just a man who is trustworthy, but it is a man who is sacrificial in their living and in their expression of love. He must sacrifice. Again, this is in the covenant concept of marriage. He must sacrifice himself and put his wife before himself. And the spirit of Christ's sacrifice, he must make every necessary sacrifice for his wife's well-being. He cannot put his own personal interests first. His duty is to his wife and to his family and to his household. Again, this is not applicable yet in a dating relationship. This is that in a covenant one. And relationships, they can pull you up to your calling, but can I tell you, they can also pull you away from your God-given destiny in your life. And so this imagery and the language used often parallels that of head and authority, but authority is never mentioned in Paul's writing. Never mentioned. And some think Jesus, with the authority that he is the head over the church, that now we as men have this authority over women, and authority is not used. Unity is the example given in the head and body metaphor. We are all members of the same body. We are united. And so a husband relinquishes his status. That's what Paul is saying. You relinquish your status to that in the posture of Christ as a slave. The privilege that first century men would have had by loving and caring for your wife as their own body. So he treats what now Paul is saying, that men are to treat their wife as their own body, as equals, as one in the same, more as an equal, which would not have been typical in a first century marriage. So Paul is not teaching that husbands are to be the leaders and the wives are to be followers. Instead, he is urging husbands to love and nurture their wives. And he urges wives to be cooperative and loyal and respectful to their husbands. But what he's saying is he's using the example that husbands, you are to sacrifice yourself for your wife. This is the only time that I think in this teaching specifically that I would use the, I would go out on the ledge and say that the men are to lead by the concept of Christ first loved us. He came and first loved us so that men ought to first go like this. That's, that's the only element of leading that I think first and foremost should take place in that of a marriage. It's a place of sacrifice, establishing a foundation of trust so that any woman, who is in love, would feel safe and secure to say, absolutely what I desire, just like we do in our relationship with the Lord. Is that making sense? Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, I, I love the, the wording that Paul uses, and then we'll get into the question period here. 
Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, sacrificed, gave up himself, gave up his life for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I love that. You know why I love that language? Because women love to be adored. Women love to be thought of. This is my case and situation with Rebecca, and so I'm speaking on behalf of our marriage. Women love to be thought of. Women love to be um, not gawked at, but looked at and thought, wow, beautiful. Such a delight. Like, Like, I think women are such good gift givers. Kim is one of them. Because this is women, you're so amazing at this. Women like in giving a gift, they think of what the other person would want in that gift. So often men are like, I'd like this, so then I'm going to give the person this, right? (laughs) But women are so wonderful at thinking of this is what the other person would like, and so I'm going to get this for them or make this for them or present this to them. And why women also love gifts, this is the case of my wife with Rebecca, is not necessarily because they just want material stuff. It's because the realization of this person thought of me in the process. And that concept of being thought of and enjoyed and delighted in is how women love to be loved. That's been the case in my life. And it's such a beautiful concept of this adoring, this presenting, this um, going after love that, that women feel cherished and seen and noticed and valued in that expression of love. Men, we just want to know you're going to stick around, <laughs> right? We just, we just want to know that you're going to be there with us and stay with us and be loyal and dedicated, honestly. Like for me, if like I know Rebecca is there, I'm good. Like I don't even really need to be loved. Paul does, <laughs> okay, Paul does talk specifically that, that uh, women are to respect men. And I think that's more the expression of how men like to be loved is that like, You'll just, you'll be loyal to us and you'll stay with me. Like Rebecca, I'm like, just don't go anywhere. Like, I just want you to stay. You don't even need to love me. Just like, tell me that you've heard me and you've heard what I said. And I'm like content and happy. Like, honestly. So it's not so much in the force and how we love, but it's the expression in which that men and women feel loved, noticed and seen and, um, and cherished. And it's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful passage about loyalty, about dedication, about sacrifice of the well-being of the other person. It's called covenant love and not consumer love. Okay? It's called covenant love and not consumer love. And I'll finish with this and we'll go into the Q&A. A consumer love focuses on my needs. It's a fish love, as I was talking to a few students. Right? I love... I love fish because of the way it tastes and it fills my body. And so I say, I love fish. And so often we use that same expression of love in so many other areas of our lives, including relationships and that of a marriage. I I love this person or that in dating. I love this person because of the way this person makes me feel. That's a consumer love. This person makes me feel good. Oh, like I feel somebody. I got these emotions inside of me because they noticed me, right? Oh, because they noticed me. Maybe I like them. Like how many unhealthy relationships start that way? You don't even like the person, but the person noticed you and you're like, oh, wow, okay, I like that feeling. I should start liking this person maybe, right? It's a consumer concept of love. 
As long as you take care of me, I will take care of you. As long as I feel love, I'm good. Guided by emotions and feelings. A covenant love is very different. A covenant love is laying down one's life for the other. It's not concerned just about happiness, but it's more concerned about holiness. It's obedient to God and his word, committed in each and every season. It's a passage about loyalty and dedication and sacrifice and love. It's not about power trips and authority. It's Paul actually saying, we get to be against the way of the world, to live and to act differently in light of the love of Christ that he has shown for his church. It's a beautiful passage. Paul values the household. The Lord values the household of a marriage, of children obeying their parents, and the parents not lording power and leadership, lordship over them. They, they love them. And that of the, the slaves and the masters, which is all in chapter six. So I encourage you to, to work through that passage again, to, to read it again and say, Lord, would you, would you reveal to me the truth of this passage again? Are we good with that? Great. If you have some questions, you can text them in. Kim and I are going to transition up onto this, the stage to our seats. And we are going to take a couple of minutes and finish off uh, some of the questions that you've asked and uh, finish up our series of uh, uh, relationship chat chats. Oh, you did sit in the chair. I'm just kidding. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I would have felt quite uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gavin, I want to thank you for that message and um, just the work that you did through that text. It's a weighted text for sure. Um, It's got a lot of history and it's got a lot of baggage. And I want to thank you for alleviating the baggage that's been attached to that text. And um, I'm grateful for your heart. And, and sharing that with us. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Okay. Um, okay, well, I wanted to start off with um, some, so last week, uh, some, somebody had sent in some questions for like me specifically, and somebody had sent in some questions for Gavin specifically. So we're gonna start off with the Gavin specific questions. <clears throat> Question number one. Uh, top three biblical practices that you two, my guess is that that's for Rebecca, you yep. two, to keep a healthy relationship. Top three biblical practices. Biblical practices. Okay, so uh, I would say top three, is, what I'll say, not like top three favorite, but top three that we are most consistent in doing. How about that? Okay. Um, because there's like some things that I would say that we would love to do, but we just don't always get to do it. So um, number, number one would be uh, we do family uh, devotionals at the dinner table. We do like the classic, we have the devotional book at our dinner table, uh, and we do family devotions uh, at the dinner table. And 
If you know me, you know my love for the dinner table, my theology behind it. Uh, and so we want to make sure that it is um, specifically that we're celebrating the Lord's love in our lives as we are together as a family eating food. I could get into the concept of food uh, biblically. But anyways, the devotional at the dinner table is um, one of our favorite ways that we um, on the Lord in biblical practice. Uh, Rebecca and I also very consistently um, sit in our living room and talk to one another about uh, life, ministry, um, our, our scripture reading, and we just talk. We've decided to not over-spiritualize it, and we've decided to not make it awkward. And if we don't do it consistent enough, we're not going to be like, oh, we suck as Christians and blah, blah, blah. We've just decided that we're just going to talk about it and make it as normal as we possibly can. Uh, and so we talk. We talk about our faith. We talk about uh, ministry. We talk about you guys. We talk about the church. We talk about our future. And we pray about that uh, very consistently. Uh, and then also we're intimate together as a man and a wife. Uh, and that would be one that I would say is a top one in, in like favorite. And uh, yeah. With kids not as consistent, just saying, okay? I heard that laugh there, Dad. <laughs> um, so this is a question that just came in, but it relates with the second point that you were talking about. Yes. Of, um, and so the question is, um, should when dating, so not in marriage, but in dating, should there be concern if a boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't want to wrestle through Scripture? Yes, I think there is a concern. Like, I think there, there's a lot to that question that is left to the unknown in us, like, you know, ciphering that one through. Um, there needs to be a, at least a level of um, willingness and openness uh, in our faith, in our relationship with the Lord. I think that would be the case, not even just in marriage and dating relationships. I think that should just be the case of, of our lives as Christians, that we are to walk in the light as Christ followers, that it should not just be something that we do, but it's a part of who we are in every area of life. Uh, and so if a person is not yet there to the degree in which it permeates their entire being, maybe as much as yours, uh, to me, it would be a cautionary flag uh, before pursuing a relationship or at least, um, you know, not going any further in that relationship until that would be resolved um, or communicated. What is one thing that you do personally to keep yourself healthy? To keep myself healthy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, without uh, the kids without, without the, way. the kids yeah. uh, the number one thing that I do on a regular basis uh, without my family is I work out mm -hmm. I, I love to work out um, I, I oh, have a, a really shady um, setup in my garage uh, that is like the classic I got most of the items that I work out with for free so it's really ugly and none of it matches but it's mine and I love it. And so I spend roughly about 45 minutes a day, most days of the week, in my garage, clanging and banging and nice. uh, having a good time. Nice. Having a good time. Having a good time. 
Great. Yep, Thank great. you. All right. Okay. <laughs> Annalisa, I knew you'd go through on that one. Um, okay. How do you and Rebecca solve arguments? Okay. Uh, love this question. Okay. So um, we have created a pattern because unfortunately it had become a pattern to be in arguments uh, in our relationship. So we had to solve that one. Uh, and so we did. So um, what we do is this. We set a designated time to have that conversation. Um, we make sure that we do not do it after 9 p.m. at night. And we do not do it on empty bellies. So our, our pattern is we won't spring it on the person because if you just bring up the subject, our immediate response is to be defensive, right? And so it's not just brought up. It's a, hey, could we have a conversation later this evening? Or, hey could we have a conversation tomorrow after the kids go to bed? Usually it's for us, it's after the kids go to bed, um, which is around seven o'clock. We make sure that we have food that we've eaten beforehand. We assess if we're too tired or not. Um, and we have gotten to the point in our relationship, we've been married for this summer will be 16 years, that we can, we can say, hey, can we have a conversation? And the other person isn't like riddled with stress. Mm-hmm. Like we've gotten to a place of trust in our relationship that that's okay that no matter what is going to be presented and talked about, we're still for each other. We're going to sacrifice and submit and love one another. Uh, and so we can, we can preface that of like, hey, could we? And not get stressed out about it. So then we eat and we make sure we're not tired and uh, we have a discussion. That's great advice just in general. In general. Like yes. whether you're married or not. Yes. If ever there's an argument, great advice. Can I tell you a funny story? Yes. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, I was doing um, a premarital counseling session with a couple and I gave them that advice. Make sure you have full bellies and make sure it's not late at night. Uh, the day that I told them, the next time that we met, <laughs> they told me that evening, they were it was like midnight and they hadn't eaten anything and they got into a big argument. And I was like, really? Okay, funny. <laughs> but they learned their lesson, which is really good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I'd love to go towards sort of some friendship chat first. Great. Okay. So can you maintain a friendship with someone who seems to not have time for you? And if so, how are you supposed to do that? <laughs> um, I would say. Because that yeah. never happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Never happens. I would say like, yes, it's possible if you change your expectations. Like, you got you to gotta change your expectations to believe what this friendship is really truly going to be. Is it going to be a real in-depth, close companionship? Or is it going to be more of an acquaintanceship? And that's fine if it's one or the other. Like, one's not right or wrong. It's just you need to have a, a clear expectation. So then you're not let down and you're not hurt by it. That may take a little bit of grieving. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, still on the friendship train. Yeah. What do you think about guys in a relationship being friends with the opposite sex or vice versa? And what are some boundaries for those relationships? Great question, because this is your life, right? Um, the life of you know, wanting to create good friendships, wanting to create good community, 
but also in a place for those who are not married or, and those who are not in a dating relationship where there still is the, the might be potential. And so the, that question is always looming in the background. Is this person going to think that I'm into them, but maybe I just want to be a friend or maybe I truly am into them, but they just want to be a friend. So all those variables come into that play always and every time. And I would say, yes, you can be friends with someone of the opposite gender. Absolutely, we're friends. And I I love our friendship. And there just has to be a a clear communication of boundaries set up between that friendship. Um, I don't know if that was specific to someone who is dating already and looking for. Okay, so if the person is dating and, and looking for a friendship or has a friendship of someone with the opposite gender, I think it's possible. But again, communication is key, is like the biggest, greatest part of it. And like, I mean, like active communication and active listening, okay? Um, so often our communication, we're just thinking of our response to the person without actually actively listening to them. And there are, therefore our friendship often can like have our strained uh, relationship. So communication is key. If you're dating somebody and the person that you are dating is jealous of this friendship, I would take that into a deep consideration. If you truly care for this person. One, I would hope that that person, and with your help as a friendship, boyfriend or girlfriend, could see healing take place in those insecurities. Because we all live with insecurities, and it's terrible to live with insecurities. It's hard. And so we all need to grow in those areas of insecurities. Um, and so that might affect your friendships with the person of the opposite gender. It's not a hard, fast rule for every single person because not everybody shares those same insecurities. Um, and so communication is so important. Boundaries are so important because people just get hurt. They get hurt when there's no clear communication and no clear boundaries set or when those boundaries are broken. And... Um, that's hard in relationships. Can I add a little? Yes. So we've mentioned this lots. We were friends when we attended Summit. We are still friends. I didn't make the slide, but I was there. I saw the slide earlier on yes. today. Yeah. But um, I think part of the reason why that worked so well is I knew as a friend who was here at Summit, I knew about Rebecca. I knew when Gavin was going to go see Rebecca. I remember when Rebecca came and visited. And I remember talking to Rebecca. And so as the friend of the opposite gender who has no, like, no interest, I just, I cared about, about his girlfriend. Like, as a friend. Oh, I'm not offended get, by that. You, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, I cared about Rebecca. Yeah. I cared about Rebecca and I wanted to hear about how Rebecca was doing. And I hung, like when she did come, I talked with Rebecca. I had a relationship with Rebecca. Same today. Mm-hmm. I have a relationship with Rebecca. Now I'm probably, I'm closer with Gavin, but I have a relationship with Rebecca and I, and I ask about Rebecca. I pray for Rebecca because it matters. That matters. And so as the friend, I want to support my friend and their relationship. So I'm going to do my part in maintaining the boundary, right? We're both in the friendship. We both maintain the boundary, Mm -hmm. right? 
So we would hang out, but we never got into a car together and went for coffee together, just the two of us. That would have been passing a boundary. That'd be weird. Weird. But we went, (laughs) but we would play games together with friends. Yes. We were together with friends. Yeah. So can I encourage you to set those boundaries? If you're in a dating relationship, you can be friends with people of the opposite gender, uh, but make sure that that person, the opposite gender is also friends with Mm -hmm. your significant other, whatever you want to say it, boyfriend or girlfriend. And that, that there's boundaries set between you and that person, the opposite mm-hmm. gender. Yeah. Yeah. Now, along with the communication, some, like, that was communicated, but we never actually, ver- I, I don't remember ever verbally articulating, mm-hmm. Gavin, I'm never going to get a car with you. And I don't remember you ever saying that with me, mm-hmm. but it was very clear yeah. by, the, by our choices. And we never actually, we never ever suggested to like, yeah. hey, let's just go to Don's. We never suggested that because yeah. we knew, like, I already knew that, like, that was just not going to be a part of our friendship. Yep. Just wasn't. So we, we lived in what was and not what, what wasn't. Ooh. Ooh. Like okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So let's talk. I just, let's talk about dating for a second. All right. I dated for three years. Great. If, <laughs> if, if not I. Not like the three months that is like the general rule around Oh, today. yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, you took forever. I did take a long time. Um, okay. How would I or someone else get a date? Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay, wonderful. You know what? There's multiple ways. Multiple ways to get a date. It's wonderful. Okay? Multiple ways. Um, I'll speak from a, a guy's perspective. Okay? And, and then I'll speak um, for a girl's perspective as much as I can. Okay? Um, from a guy's perspective, like, girls want to be pursued. The girl that I married liked being pursued. I think it's a wonderful thing when men pursue. I think it's a great thing. Uh, It's not necessarily a mandated biblical thing. It's more of a cultural male-female thing, but I think it's wonderful. Uh, And it, it, women feel noticed and delighted in and, and sought after, and that's a wonderful thing. So, like, ask. Like, ask the question to go on a date. And not every date means you're dating, but go on a date. Like, that's totally fine. It's great. Um, I think another great way to do it is to do it with friends. Like, to have a friend be like a, a wingman or a wingwoman and like, like support you in that. And don't go all sleazy and sly and behind people's back, but like, be honest with yourselves and one another. And if you know of people, set those people up. Like, what a great way for a relationship to begin. Can I say Rebecca is fantastic at setting people up? We have literally had four of our friends, actually, like, four couples, I should say. Four couples get married because Rebecca was like, hey, you and you should get together. Uh, And it's super cool. Uh, The owners of Broadway Cafe, they're one of those couples that we totally set them up. And uh, what a great way to begin a, a relationship through friendship, through community, having people support you in that. Dating, I think, should not be just isolated to one and two people, that it should be a friendship concept, a community concept, that people should be included in that. So um, that's, a, that's a way to do awesome. it. Yeah. Can I add a little thing? Sure. Okay, ladies. Oh, yeah, I wanted to do this. Um, if, a ma- if a man, like, musters up the courage, because it is actually courageous to ask somebody out, if that man musters up the courage, one, like, give it a shot. 
right? Like, if he's, if he's a nice person, say, sure. Then, if, however, if you're not feeling it. Okay, so men, don't take it personal. Ladies, be clear. Be clear. Be clear, okay? Yes. Okay? So, you want to say, you know what? That took a lot of guts to ask me, and I think that that is so awesome that you mustered up the guts to ask me out. I'm going to say no. Say no. Say no. If yeah. you mean no, yeah. say no. Yeah. Okay? I'm going to say no. But, but thank you so much for asking me. It really does make me feel quite, quite good. And I thank you. Um, but I'm going to say no. Okay? So, so, guys, go for it. Take the plunge. Take, ask somebody out. And girls, say yes. Or no. Or say no. <laughs> but just say but, one of them. But yeah. at least yeah. <laughs> be really clear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Be can really I, clear. Can I just say before we go on to the next question, yeah. the, the advice I wanted to give for women, if the man doesn't ask, you should. Like, you, you have absolutely the right to, to pursue as well. Yeah. Okay? Great. Yes. Okay, um, let's just keep leaning in this way. Yeah. Are there some unhealthy aspects of dating culture at Summit that, that you would <laughs> like to speak to? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, he just got to the edge of his seat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, unhealthy in multiple ways. First one uh, is this. And I, I, and I mean this and I care about this, okay? But it might be a little bit harsh. Like, I think there is an unhealthy um, vibe amongst a lot of, uh, amongst single people who have like a resentment towards those who are dating. Uh, is, is an unhealthy culture that I think exists here. Okay? I know it's a bit harsh, but I think that exists. I also think there is an unhealthy vibe of people who are dating think that they're better than those who are not dating. Uh, and I think that's unhealthy. Um, I, think, I think dating should be that of, like, friendship. It should be friendship. So, like, if you're dating, you should be able to hang out in community with other people, whether they're dating or single. And, and those who choose not to, I think, is an unhealthy uh, vibe, a part of, your, of a dating culture. There's three. That's good. Okay. So, um, it, we're in the early stages. How do we know? How do we know if something is based on feelings or not in the very beginning stages of a relationship? Yeah. Welcome to dating. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would hope that there's feelings there. <laughs> if there isn't feelings, then maybe that's a sign that, that you should say no or no longer we're done. Um, but feelings are, are absolutely a part of it. Um, it. It shouldn't be the driver of it all, but they should, it should be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and time will tell. And, you know, go on those dates, have those conversations, um, and that's okay. Ask your friends. That's why I think community is important. Mm -hmm. If you're uncertain, ask those who care for you. Um, if your friend is dating, like celebrate with them that they are pursuing 
another person. Like that's a wonderful thing. I know many people feel the insecurities of it that they don't themselves and therefore they don't want to celebrate. But we need to celebrate our friendships and, and the successes that, and the wins that people have in their life, which is good. But also too, if a friend of yours is concerned, then I think you should listen to them too. Good. Okay. So we touched on this a little bit last week, but just to like bring it, bring it up again. Um, we, at, at Summit, there's a, there's a very busy life. Um, and then throw in school. If you've got a job, if you have a ministry, how do you manage time together to, to date well and get Good. to know each other well? Yeah. So uh, at Summit specific, I think time is expedited and speeds up so fast here, right? Uh, and, and a big one for me that I always uh, often talk about is the concept of our meals. There is 20 meals a week that people have together. Uh, I don't even get to have like 10 meals a week with my family always. And so time around a table for me, right? That, that's a holy thing. That's a very um, uh, community-orientated concept that... Uh, conversation happens and life happens and it's wonderful to eat together um, at a table. And you guys get to do that 20 times a week together. And many of you sit at the same table with the same people at every single meal. Uh, and so those friendships are expedited and go so fast, right? Uh, and so things speed up really quickly, but there's so much in life and there's busyness. The reality is you do actually spend quite a bit of time with one another uh, in comparison to a lot of other dating relationships. Maybe you've dated somebody outside of this context and you would go for a coffee or a dinner and you would see them once or twice a week. And that was kind of normal where you get to see the person like once or twice a day here. So first and foremost, really assess, do you have time or do you not? Some don't, okay? Some of the reality is you don't have a lot of time together. So my advice is this, quality over quantity. Okay? Make sure your time together is quality time together, that your conversation is edifying and uplifting and glorifies the Lord. Make sure that your time together isn't just sitting on your phones and doing nothing and saying, what should we do? I'm so tired. I don't want to do anything. Plan ahead of what your time is going to be together. Uh, know what you're going to do and then have fun. Like, so quality over quantity. Okay? Cool. Uh, just swinging back to the um, friends and be friends being a part of your relationship, that kind of thing. One out of 10, how, uh, just a quick question. One out of 10, how important is it to still take time to hang out with your friends and other people when you're dating? Oh my goodness. It's a 10. It's a 10. Like a 10. you've been in that position where a, you've had a friend all of a sudden like another person and they like no longer have time for you. That is hard. That is really hard. Mm -hmm. We've been in those positions. And so don't be that person because it's hard on those that are your friends. Mm -hmm. They love you and they want to be with you. And I'm convinced that dating is a friendship community concept. Your friends should be involved in your dating relationship. Mm -hmm. Your family, if you have trust and health in your family, should be involved mm -hmm. in your dating relationships. Yeah. Cool. Okay. How do you undate? What if you break up oh. and how do you undate well? Oh, wow. Wow. Undate well. Um, so if it's, a, if it's a messy breakup, I think you, you need to ask for forgiveness. Both, both parties need to ask for forgiveness. Both parties need to acknowledge that they are not perfect, uh, that they made mistakes, um, 
and if boundaries were crossed or broken and people were disrespected, there needs to be forgiveness uh, requested and granted, uh, I think is first and foremost. And then I also think the reality of like dating relationships and they say, oh, we'll still be friends. Um, the, the reality of that actually happening, like let's be honest with ourselves, uh, isn't probably going to happen. Uh, now we don't have to like disrespect the person or ignore them. We can still value them as a human being and notice them and see them and say hi to them. But I think that expectation of the concept of a friendship just needs to be re-clarified. Yeah. It's hard though. There's a grieving process that takes place. There's loss that was. Uh, and, and so time is needed. Um, in, a, in a situation like that. Um, I want to ask just one question, just for the sake of time, one question about boundaries. Uh, so we know that boundaries are important. Um, let's, how do we, how do we set clear boundaries? And I think that's just a mm-hmm. reiteration of some things that have been said. Mm-hmm. More importantly, I want to get to, what if we cross boundaries and we have to shore up our boundaries? How do we do that? Yeah. So, like, first and foremost, the, that how far is too far, like, mm-hmm. boundaries concept. It's like the age-old question in any dating, Christian dating-specific mm-hmm. relationship. And so often that question is posed in regards to physical boundaries. And last week we talked about that so far, I believe, that many Christian couples go too far emotionally, um, and there's no boundary set on the emotional side of it. We're, we're trying to be so careful on the physical, but we go way too far emotionally that we go to a depth that should be left for that of a marriage relationship. Um, so that, that, that concept of like how far is too far, we have great concern for that kind of question. Not necessarily for the question, but from where that question comes from. And I'll say this, many of the questions that, that came in over the last two weeks, and thank you for sending questions in, by the way, but we, we prefaced it by saying we're going to have chapel chats about relationships, and, and a large percentage of those questions that came in were physical contact, boundary, how far can we go, what is allowed, what isn't allowed sexually in a relationship, a dating relationship. And as, as pastors... We care for you. At the same time, we grieve with you. And we, we, we see not just what is being asked, but the, like where that's coming from. And, and that's hard. And we want to acknowledge that. And there isn't necessarily an answer to that question always. I think rather than just answering how far is too far, what's the boundary, what mark on the body is allowed and what isn't allowed. Like the reality is with whatever we say, you know, Friday night at 11 p.m. if you're in the car with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not going to be like, what did Gavin and Kim say that we're allowed to do again or not? Like that's not going to come up in your mind at all, right? And so it actually has to come to a place of not finding the answer to the question, but allowing the spirit to question you. Is what I'm doing bringing glory and honor to him? Is what we are doing glorifying the Lord and respecting him? Is what we're doing respecting one another? Am I respecting myself? Am I respecting you? Are we being submitted to one another in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord? And so we need to allow the spirit to question us in that concept. Now, again, Boundaries, I don't think should just be physical boundaries. I think there should be time boundaries, 
We're not going to be out after this time of the day. We're not going to be out by ourselves after this time of the day, I should say, because we could be out later with a group of friends. Um, we're not going to do this by ourselves. We're not going to put ourselves into a position that could tempt us to go further than we ought to go. Like those, I think, are better boundaries than the concept of is, you know, is a certain body part allowed to be touched or not to be touched? Yeah, I think asking that question of like, okay, I remember that I'm supposed to like image myself after God and that I'm supposed to live my life honoring him. So if I keep that as my framework for, for my entire way of living and being, that will inform how far I go physically. Mm-hmm. That will inform how much I share of my, of my heart and of my emotions. Because like that's going to catch the question, is kissing on the neck okay or not okay? Well, I'm I'm wanting to honor God with my every being. As somebody who is single, who has not made a covenant commitment to somebody else, I am single. Therefore, I am in covenant relationship with the Lord and Mm -hmm. I want to honor him. So then Mm -hmm. that's going to inform my decisions and my choices yeah. and what is too far or, or not, then let's just say you cross the line. Mm-hmm. You cross the line. Okay. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Like if that's something that like you've acknowledged that you shared something and that has made you feel uncomfortable and you've crossed the line with that person, you say, you know what? I've realized something. I just crossed my own boundary. I didn't realize it was a boundary, but after sharing it, now I get that that's a boundary and I've crossed that and I'm not going to talk about that with you because that's my boundary and I'd really appreciate that we don't go there. Now, if you're in a relationship, you've gone, you've crossed boundaries that are physical boundaries, you've crossed emotional boundaries and you're as a couple and you want to like stay a couple and like but just shore up those boundaries, I would really encourage you to have a mentor Mm -hmm. to journey with you as you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Because like the door has been opened, right? You have felt the feels. It is super hard to go back. Like, let's be honest. It's really hard to go back when we've opened up that door. So invite a mentor, somebody who has some great wisdom, who loves you, cares for you, wants the best for you, to journey with you in that and then be honest about it. Mm -hmm. Be honest. Set yourselves up. You know, like often we deviate off the road. Okay, so what do we need to set ourselves up? What kind of like barricades do we need to put in place? to like keep us successful in our journey of wanting to have an honor, a God honoring relationship. That's true for friendships as well, right? For all types of relationships, there's the danger of Mm -hmm. of veering into an unboundaried life. And we want to just swing back in and use some good wisdom to help us. Yeah. Yeah. We know we're going late. Are you guys doing okay? Can we do a couple more? Do a couple more? A couple more and we'll call it, okay? Great. Okay. So I'd like to ask then, so how do we, how do we walk and support, how do, how do we walk with and support somebody who's struggling with a sexual addiction, let's say pornography or masturbation? Yeah. Great question. Reality of so many, right? Um, <clears throat> I like the way that that is worded, right? Support and walk with. Those are active um, concepts. And um, we need to be active in that regard. 
to like something like pornography, something like masturbation, something to that degree where it's like a sexual addiction, like support is required in a person's life. It's, it's nearly impossible to do on your own. And, and so often, you know, those, those youth group confession sessions where we say we're going to be accountable, it's like, oh yeah, I made the mistake and I watched this again and uh, I'm confessing to you and I want, because you guys are my accountability group, but then nothing ever happens after that, right? Like that is a passive, that is a reactive way to doing it. We need to be active and proactive in our approach to fighting against addiction. Uh, and so that means supporting and walking with. Uh, I think it's, it's setting guidelines of what you are allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Putting passwords on your phone or your computer, giving up your phone or your computer at certain times of the day, giving it to your roommate, giving it to your bathroom mate, being active in making sure that you lose the opportunity to fall into temptation, I think is, is first. Also too, I think we need to just get to a place where we ask the Lord to, to firm in us our doubts, our faith, to do away with our doubts, because the spirit who resides in us is active and moving, right? God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness and faith after him. Everything that we need, we already have. If we've accepted Christ into our life, the spirit is active and working in us. The fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace. What's the last one? Is self-control. It is in us. The Spirit resides in us and is working in us. We also just need to believe the truths and those promises in our lives that we do have the the self-control and the discipline and the faith and the ability needed to withstand it. So you have that. But having somebody support you and encouraging you, lifting you up, holding you accountable, taking those things that are going to be, um, you know, treacherous in your life, Removing them from your life is a great way to be active in supporting and walking with a person who's struggling. That's great. Can I add? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like uh, that whole a bit about like not just about confession, but actual like active, um, actively walking with, like putting things, really good things in place. Um, also being really, really honest because um, while pornography is an action, like there is, there's a head game that happens here, right? There is a head game. And so that means that sometimes it's not even, you're not even watching anything. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a head and emotion game. So then that means that you have to be honest about what it is, like what are the emotions that are coming up? What's the, what's the narrative that's going on internally? Um, and be honest with whomever it is that you're actually going to join in. Now, that is that's a huge, huge, huge vulnerability, but the reality is we all, we all like face this highly sexualized world. So like we're all, you're talking about it from the pulpit here, okay? Or like from the stage. So we can talk about it individually too um, with somebody who's trusted. So be honest about it. And then here's the thing is when we journey and when, if we're, if we're moving towards and trying to, uh, um, yeah, move towards holiness and move outside of utilizing porn and masturbation as a coping mechanism in our life, there, we have to, like, there might be times where we fail. Okay. There might be times where we fail. So then that means that as people who are walking with and supporting, we say, okay, you failed. Mm-hmm. New day. Let's carry on. Let's, let's pray. I'm believing in you. We can do this. Let's do this together. Right. We move on. 
So we don't expect, like, we don't expect our friends to be perfect forever because we'll, like, they'll let us down and we'll let them down. So we journey in reality. Okay. Can you, let's talk a little bit about. Um, Should we finish with this? Yeah. Okay, great. We're going to talk about sex for a couple minutes. Let's talk about okay. sex. That's it. We'll stop there because yeah, the rest of it's no, bad. It's, it's a bad song. It's a bad Don't song. It. Okay. Bad song. Bad choice. Bad song. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Okay, so the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk a bit about specific sexual boundaries in the marriage that are honoring to God? And then can I add a few more questions mm -hmm. in there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it healthy for Christians to bring role playing into the marriage? And what are some healthy Christian kinks? Okay. Okay. It's honest questions. Great. Majority of you are going to at some point in your life, like just statistically speaking, majority of you in this room are going to get married at some point in your life. Uh, and so sex is a part of marriage. The beauty of, of sex, yes, there is the, the physicality of it and the enjoyment of it, but it's so much more than that. It really, truly is. And I remember back to when I was dating Rebecca, um, you just don't have the full understanding of like what sex and sexuality is. And our minds, because of the world in which that we live in, get brought to this this perverted place of it, unfortunately. Uh, and so, like, yes, there's the enjoyment uh, of it, but there's also... Um, the, the purity of it is, is like the, the best. It's the purity of it, and which is only available in a covenant relationship. Like Rebecca and I, like we, we, we're not those kind of people that walk around naked in our house. Like it's just weird. There are people who do that, who will leave the bathroom open. Like to me, that's like, that's too much. Even like prior to kids, we just were never those people. And, and not with getting too detailed about our lives, but when we, when we, are able to be intimate with one another. There is a level of um, unashamedness that is so beautiful. It only happens in the context of a marriage. And to me, it's like, I'm, I'm certain that that's probably the closest we could ever get to where Adam and Eve were prior to the fall in that physical concept. And um, so it's, it's wonderful. But so the boundaries are, it's just us. Like there, there's nobody else. That's a boundary for us. And... Um, a, a boundary is, because I think there's lots of adventure and lots of play and lots of, of options in the concept of a married um, relationship and, and sex. If it abuses the person, if it hurts the person, like that would be a no to us. Um, if, there, if there's been past experiences that it brings up that pain, that needs to be dealt with before that's pursued physically, of course, by any means, if ever at all. Um, so the boundaries um, are, we're going to honor the Lord by making sure that we are sacrificing and submitting to one another properly. Uh, and, and the really, the beauty part of, of sex, again, it's not just the physical delight of it. Going through the book of Joshua right now and, and how, um, <clears throat> Riley, I think it was you, they, they re, re instituted themselves to the law of the Lord, right? Uh, the Israelites did. Um, and they renewed their covenant to the Lord. And that concept of renewing the covenant, it's a holy concept. To me, that's that act of a, of a man and a woman being together in a married relationship. They're renewing their covenant together. And so that's a beautiful holiness, a part of it. So that's how it honors the Lord. Um, in, in regards to like role play uh, and Christian kinks, uh, I, I think kinks would be the concept of things that are like strange and unique that are not the normal. 
right? I, I, that's my understanding of it. I could be way off. Uh, who knows? Um, again, there's, there's lots of freedom in the concept of marriage. Again, freedom is not having no organization or structure. That's chaos. Freedom is having a, a healthy order, order and structure and having the right to make those decisions within that structure and order. And so there's lots of play uh, available. So role play away. Um, if you're weird, okay, do the kinks, I guess. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, again, if it gets to a place where it, it harms um, or abuses, I, I don't think that honors the Lord. Awesome. Okay, so uh, this will be our last question. Okay. How do you bring Jesus into the marital bed? If you're married, he's there. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's there, right? That's where the concept of bringing Jesus in I think plays a bit with, with a, uh, an accepted theology or an incorrect theology. Like Jesus is there. Jesus isn't something that we just participate to do. It's who we are. And so it's a part, Jesus is a part of our marriage in every part of our marriage. And he delights in it. And he, he, he loves when we are intimate together with one another. He loves when we serve and care and submit to one another. He loves that. Uh, and so we don't need to, and that's the difference between, between the marriage, covenantal yes. love yeah. and consumeristic, yes. right? Because yeah. our world presents a consumeristic sexuality. I want sex. I want what I want. Do what I want. Me, me, me. Please, me. But that's not what covenantal yeah. love, that's not what covenantal sex is about. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, okay. There were other questions that came our way, but there's so many, there's so many things to talk about that we don't always get the time. But this is what I would encourage us to do. Let's not relegate these conversations to two nights in one year. Okay? Let's keep talking. I had a wonderful chat at lunch, at the lunch table, about like relationships and whether we felt squirmy about this or not squirmy and our comfort levels. And it was such a wonderful, life giving conversation. Can I encourage us to keep the conversation going? Mm -hmm. Right? If you are, can I also speak to if you're, if you are journeying and you're, and you feel like there have been some things that, um, that either your concept of love that needs some redeeming, your understanding or your, your use of or your engagement with pornography and masturbation. Like if there's things that you're feeling like this is an area that I'd like to, I'd like to experience some healing in and, uh, and support, like reach out to people whom you've trust. We're here. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. Jason, Vicky are here. Like speak to people who you trust, who can pray with you and journey with you. Could you give yeah. us yeah. some final thoughts in prayer? So if we never got to your question, I apologize. There were some that were written on papers that we never got to today. Um, can I ask that you would um, come see us? Like e either individually or collectively. Like we want to we be here to serve and care for you um, and, and do our best in answering these questions and pastor well. Uh, and so we would love for you to ask those questions. If you have another question that you would, that spurred off from one of our answers, like, please 
Like, let's further that conversation. Uh, I don't want you to feel like you're doing this alone. Because when we do it alone, that's often when we can find ourselves in place of isolation. We can find ourselves in place of darkness. And we can find ourselves going down a road that we, that we wish we wouldn't, right? Uh, and so we want to care well for you um, and to do this together. Um, so can I pray? Thank you for sticking this out with us. So I know we've gone late tonight. <clears throat> Lord, I am, I am so overwhelmed with the goodness of your love. The consistency in which that you show your mercy, your grace, and your love in my life, in our lives. Lord, your, your blessings and favor that we have when we don't deserve it. Yet you, um, you loved us. You loved us first. We were able to even have this concept of community and, and relationships and connection and love for others because you first loved us. And we acknowledge that, that we are unable to love without you. We need you, Lord. Lord, would you permeate our thoughts? Would you permeate our actions? Would you be ever-present in, in each of our relationships that we would serve to honor and glorify you in who we are, in every friendship that we have, in every relationship dynamic that we have, that we would submit to one another out of reference and awe and love of you? that we would walk in love with one another, that we would watch how we speak to one another, that we would speak to edify and encourage, that we would withhold ourselves from a place of um, sexual uh, temptation or um, morale that would be too far before a covenant relationship. Spirit, we need your help in that. Lord, in these instructions and teachings about loyalty and dedication and submission and sacrifice and service towards one another to glorify and honor you, Lord, would you continue to bring revelation and healing in our lives, in the brokenness of what we have experienced in our lives, Lord, we just continually need your healing touch. Thank you for your love, that it is pure, that it is perfect, that it is life transforming and that it is for all. Oh, Lord, it is for all, and I'm so grateful for that. For the riches of your goodness and glory in our lives that you lavish upon us. Lord, I pray a blessing over these students, a blessing in their relationships, and their dating relationships, and their marriages, and future marriages, and, and relationships and dynamics of being parents. All of that, Lord, I pray your favor and blessing over their lives. I pray that uh, this evening, wherever discussion goes or thoughts go, um, Lord, I pray it would be honoring to you. As you lead, as you guide, we submit ourselves to you and follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great evening.